Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things parenting and mental health. Today, I am very excited to have on my guest, Stacy Delo, who is the CEO of Opre. Stacy spent eight years as a journalist with the Wall Street Journal Digital Network, where she was a multimedia reporter, producer, and the host of Digits, a live video program about technology, before founding her own business focused on flexibility in the workplace. Her book, Your Turn, Careers, Kids, and Comebacks, A Working Mother's Guide, was written alongside with Jennifer Gefsky and was published by Harper Business in October of 2019. She lives in San Francisco with her husband and two kids. Welcome, Stacy. And the dog. Thank you. <laughs> and the dog. We cannot and forget the dog. The dog. Right. The um, dog. You know, the first thing I want to say, even to you and to, to people who would not know the story, is I have here a copy of Your Yay. Turn, which is... Oh, you have an early copy. I do. This is a galley, right? So for people yeah. not in the biz, a galley is, you know, the advanced copy. And yeah. um, a lot of times it doesn't even feel or look like it doesn't have like chapter numbers or anything. Right. I got this book and I kept the letter from, <laughs> I know it's so nice. I got it in June 19th of 2019. And um, we both share the same editor, Harper Collins. And they thought um, your editor, Stephanie thought that I would be a good person to review this book and talk to you about it. Yes. You know, it's so funny. We did try and I think there was, you know, some delays and then the pandemic happened. So before we jump into all that stuff, which is like probably my most burning question, I will I give you an opportunity to talk about your company, Opre, though, because um, I'm very curious what you guys do, what you're up to and what my audience should know. Absolutely. Well, and thank you to you. You blurbed the book. I mean, it's actually it's hard to believe this is three years now. Um, October, it published in October of 2019. And of course, we could have never predicted what was coming in the next year. So thank you for your support through all of this and for circling back now and wanting to have this really important conversation about women. And also, just before I dive into a pray, I'd like to say Thank you to you for all that you do for women and and as, as the mom of a tween a girl at the moment, so much of your content is just so critical um, to supporting not just the, the girls, but also the parents. And um, I'm really delighted to be here with you today. So thank you very much. Aw, thank you. Thank you so much. And I will say a happy book birthday this month to you. Yes. Exactly. Right. That's another thing we have to celebrate. We do. That's I, right. And, and in some ways I, after it's funny, cause I had notes in the, in the book before, um, you know, from years ago. And, um, I think we were both a little bit ahead of our time. I think even this book was a little ahead of its time. It was, it's interesting. I think I'll, I reflect a lot on that right now. What if this book had come out now? Um, but it's also interesting, and we can get into this in the conversation, that while the pandemic has kind of cracked so much open for women, a lot of it is really uh, the same. <laughs> um, it was the same prior to the pandemic, and I'm hopeful that you know more shit nets out um, as change in the end post-pandemic, but a lot of the same topics that were relevant prior to the pandemic 
are still really relevant today. I mean, the the women in the workplace report from Lenin and McKinsey came out today and it's still the same data. Um, though there's there's they're saying this year the the big change is that women in leadership positions are leaving their positions at a higher rate than they've seen before because they're fed up. They're saying, I'm done with not being in a flexible environment. I'm done, you know, trying to just beat my head against a wall to make this work. And that's new, but the rest of it is pretty much the same, right? We're still struggling to move women, more women via promotions into higher levels of leadership in organizations. Um, we still lose women in that messy middle um, when they're trying to really figure out how to be a good parent and also be respectful and cognizant of the experience and career and education that they have to bring to the table and how to sort of make all of those pieces come together. We spend a lot of time working with women on those topics at Upray. We are a career resource for women who are returning to work after career breaks, very relevant right now, um, but also women who are pivoting. And generally that's pivoting to something better is what we like to say. Sometimes it's something more meaningful. Sometimes it's something with more money. Sometimes it's something more flexible. Um, it's really particular to individuals, but we we do a lot of individual one-on-one -on -one coaching. We host webinars and we work with employers who are open to hiring people with resume gaps and who not just are open to it, but really see the value in it, the, the transferable skills that are gained, especially during parenting. Let that's me, let me ask you about summary. that. <laughs> no, that's great. I love everything Apre is doing. Let me ask as somebody who's new to learning about this company, are any of the resources that you provide free um, to women? The lion's share are free. Um, the only thing that we charge for is the one-on-one -on -one coaching. And we've actually tried to make that, I think coaching can sound so long and daunting for people. We've tried to make it really efficient and affordable. Um, so we have really, uh, we call them kits, actually. The, the, the longest series of coaching that we have is two and a half hours. Um, we find that a lot of people who come to us are, even if they're in a bit of an exploratory phase about what might be next in their career, they're actually really clear about it. And they really just need a little bit of helping focus in and hone in on exactly what those job titles might be that are good for them. Um, and then making sure that all their materials align so that they can start talking to their network and applying to positions. Women, you know, since the eighties have made up the majority of college degrees and earn, as we all know, over half of all types of graduate degrees. And they're waiting later into their career to have children. And so as a result of that, they're highly experienced and highly educated by the time if they choose or if something forces them to step out of the workforce. So when they're ready to get back in, they're actually just as qualified as they were when they stepped out. They just need a little bit of focus sometimes on what it is exactly that they want to go after. Um, I'm a big believer in if you can if you can really focus in on exactly what it is that you want to do, for the most part, you can go and do it. I love that. And I love um, that stat that you just shared that that really since the 80s, women have been a more educated 
more educated in the workforce because now, you know, tracking girls, of course, we see that pattern. Girls are and young women are more likely to be valedictorians, more likely to get a graduate degree. Um, lots of good things are happening. However, it doesn't always necessarily translate into pay and position right in in the workforce. It's still men that get paid more and have the greater, more um, influential positions. Exactly. And a lot of that, you know, not a lot of it, but a, a portion of that, unfortunately, um, is, you know, systemic, but it's also a, a result that historically women have really been the ones who bear the bulk of the childcare and, and house care services, however you want to say it. And whatever it is that has led our society to believe that that doesn't deserve the same amount of pay that um, men do is, you know, kind of beyond me still. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get into your book because you write a lot about these issues. Um, And I, and my, and I have this burning pressing question that I have to get off my mind, which is um, in your book, your turn. First of all, you talk about lots of things from career decision-making, career confusions, all sorts of great topics we're going to get into. But the first thing I want to ask you is just the world has changed so much since this book was published in 2019. And for women and mothers, what do you think are the most significant changes? And does that has that shifted any of the messaging or advice that you've been giving because it's been going on for years um, that you've been giving prior to that? Yeah, it's interesting. It's a great question. I mean, so much, as you're saying, has changed. I, I think one of the positives is that it really did open up exposure to what childcare and all of the pieces that it requires to make a household run we had a window into what that looked like. And I realize that's not new information for people, but I think that understanding that everybody who was at home and saw all of, you know, as we say, it's like all of that kind of hit the fan (laughs) under one roof um, for so many months, you know, years even now. Um, And so the exposure of that, what I'm really hopeful about is that it has sort of, cracked, I think I used that word a little bit earlier already, but has sort of cracked this opening into people um, having a lot more respect for those child, for the for the caregiving years, for um, assigning some value to caregiving. Another significant thing, we, we laugh because we used to talk about, we used to go in to talk to employers about flexibility. And, you know, even like five or six years ago, and we would say, um, you know, we're, we're a career site that offers flexible job opportunities for women. And literally, like people would shut the door, hang up on the phone. They did not want to talk about flexible work structures. It scared them. It scared employers. And we're now at this kind of reckoning, really, of employers understanding and, and the, the ones that aren't suffering um, from the fact that that is you know, almost a new norm. It's still something that I think companies are really trying to figure out how to how to manage it in an equitable way. There's still so much work to be done on understanding how to um, how to value people's work in a hybrid or remote only situation. Um, and and so there's all sorts of pieces of it that aren't perfect. 
you know, when we did surveys during the pandemic, the biggest fear among women was that that silver lining of the pandemic, the, the flexibility that they had um, to be at home, maybe not in exactly the same way that it was in the pandemic, um, but a portion of that, that that would go away. And so that's one really big change. I mean, I, I feel like I could go on and on, on on the ways that things have changed, but I also think that there's still so much work to be done to continue to push for um, the change. You know, we're seeing, I don't mean to keep harping on childcare, but the, the childcare situation in the country is staggeringly difficult for parents. It's, it's expensive. Um, so many childcare centers closed during the pandemic. And now we're at a point where many people who provide childcare services aren't paid enough. They're beholden to public transportation. If that does not open or work, it, there's so many things that are necessary to provide this net to allow people to present and be them, their best selves at work and be present in the moment. And a lot of that has to do with Childcare. Yeah, let, let me ask you a question about that. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I moderated a panel at USC and really smart, interesting people, right? Talking about everything, childcare, women's issues, the workforce issues, home care, home balance yeah. kind of issues, right? And uh, of course, I see on social media people's comments. And somebody commented, this is your choice to have kids. So either like have your kids and stay home and take care of them or don't complain to us when you can't figure out how to do it all. Right. And yeah. I was like, just, I didn't reply to, I just read it and just thought, wow, there are people who, who feel that way in the world. And I am just curious what, given all of your work, and I, I'd love to hear how your work also at the Wall Street Journal was influential to all of this, but sure. what do you say to that? I mean, that's that's a refrain we've heard before and even from other women, right, uh, who who have noted that they people who read our book actually have noted that um, there were things that they didn't really understand um, that come with parenting and career because they didn't have children. So, I, you know, I think it I mean, not to sound cliche, but it does take a village. Right. And. To me, the the idea of judging people and sort of tearing them down over decisions that they've made works both ways, right? And we shouldn't do it in either direction. Eighty, I think it's eighty five percent of women have children by the time they're forty four. Um, sometimes I like to look. I want to look at someone like that and say, "You were a child once, right? Somebody had you, right?" There's <laughs> we're not all. We didn't all just show up on Earth here. Um, so I wish I could meet someone like that in person and talk to them more, more, more one-on-one. Um, -on -one. But yeah, that's nutty. Yeah, it's it's just um, it's interesting. I try when I um, you know now really over the last three years have spent a lot of time taking the all the knowledge that I have around burnout and applying it not just to mothers or just to women. Um, but expanding that to companies, right? How to bring mental wellness into your workplace is a topic a lot of companies now really care about. Yes. Um, and this issue comes up mm -hmm. and I think it is incumbent on everybody to understand all sorts of issues that may not apply to you right now, but mm -hmm. will eventually, like especially being just a caregiver that could be to an, el an aging parent. Exactly. 
Right. It's, it's, it's caregiving and we know the mental toll that that takes and the bottom, you know, the bottom line is very affected by absenteeism or just lack of productivity because your mind is elsewhere. So yeah, um, we tend to bucket it always around children. It's a great point, but it's something like 12% of the population cares for children and elderly adults. And, and we see in our work, people who have taking care of siblings, um, you know, who don't have children, but they are in a caregiver role of some level. And, and to that point, I think corporate America has a, has a real job to do really to train employees and hiring managers to understand caregiving, um, and to better have, have, have a lot more empathy for it. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we want to say, Hey, let's have, let's have empathy and, and let's do some things out of the goodness of your heart. Right. We hope that, but then we also need companies like yours and researchers and others to also show companies how not addressing the caregiving issue, mental health issues actually truly affects your productivity, your turnover, you know, and those kinds yes. of issues. Exactly. And, and, and there's a, um, her name is Amy Henderson. She's done, um, a great deal of bringing to light research that has been done on how your brain actually changes after childbirth, but it's a way that your brain changes that can also be learned. So for men who take on early caregiving for infants, their brains also change in the same way as if they had given birth, but they have to actually do the active piece of the caregiving. <laughs> so, you know, what a wonderful happening, right? That all people could, could, could benefit from. Yeah, that could be, I should probably ask her to come on. You mentioned Amy Henderson. And when I was at USC, there's also their uh, psychologist and researcher. Her name is Darby Saxby. Oh yeah. Darby. Yeah. Right. And so she was on the panel also talking about that. And they're really studying fathers. And interestingly, their level of stress can be just as high as women when they are primary caretakers. And yes. um, right. So it's um, I love that we are also including men and fathers into this um, type of research so that we can understand are some of these issues truly unique to women or is it because women have these more predominant roles that change who we are. So I love where we're at in the world of really looking at a really complex problem from a lot of different lenses. Um, but let me ask, how did your work at um, the Wall Street Journal influence uh, what you're doing now in the book as well? So I had I had a great career at the Wall Street Journal. Um, I loved my job and I had grown up in a household where my mother had stopped working when she had me and didn't work for 10 years and then went back to work in a really big way and had a very, very, very successful career. So I had this model of that you can take a career break and you can get back into the workforce. You know, Nancy Pelosi being another fantastic returner with a big story, right? You can find them all around you. Um, so I had always worked on this model that that was kind of what would happen to me. But then I loved my job so much that when I had my first child, I told everybody I would be back within six weeks. 
Um, I had a fear that that I would miss, you know, I would miss something, right? It was fear of missing out, I suppose. But I, I really loved my job. And then I had the baby and my body was healing in different ways. And I could, I thought, oh gosh, what's going to like, if I go back to work, what's actually going to happen to this little baby? I have to sort of figure all these things out. And I, I took six months off. I had really great maternity leave, paid leave, and I kind of maxed it out. And then when I went back, um, they had a, they had a program that you could go back part-time for a certain number of months. And I did that. I went back three days a week. And then at the end of that time period, they said, okay, it's time for you to come back full time. And I said, I really don't want to, I want to stay part time. And I made a case uh, for why I would still be really valuable. They trained me and invested in me. And so I stayed part time through the birth of my second child. And during all of that, and with the context of what my mom had been able to accomplish, I started looking around and at the time there just weren't sites that would really help women either find flexible job opportunities, that scary word again for employers at the time, or kind of think through different ways that they could approach their career and feel okay about it. And so I I left to start a site and now it's incorporated into the Apre business that I now run. But to me, it was this idea that you know, we set out on these paths and we still work with women who are so fearful of what taking time away from the workforce will mean to their career. And it it really is something that, as we talk about in the book, you can get really clear on for yourself if you prioritize and think about what uh, the pieces are that matter to you at this moment, and then understand that it may change and different things will matter to you later on. Um, I, you know, I've been talking with women who've been dropping children at college right now, and that's such a different space than for somebody who may just have their youngest heading off to kindergarten. But at each point, it's a time for self-reflection about your career because maybe your time opportunities have changed. Um, maybe your ability to, you know, move in a new direction or put the pedal down in a different way um, or to ease up a little bit and say, look, I'm really happy. I'm able to sort of manage the pieces that I want to manage right now and be okay in the moment. So that's really what we wanted to get across in the book is that it's not going to be the same for everybody and to kind of cut yourself some slack and not be so hard on oneself about the decisions that you make and to really sort of rest on your experience and your education and understand that that will help help carry you forward. Yeah, I love the way, um, you know, for people who haven't read this book, and I think it's so interesting because the way that you and Jennifer put it together is it almost can apply to any working woman, even if you feel right now like, you know what, I'm feeling great in my job. It still gives you this opportunity for reflection. I like how you you divided it into two parts. So part one's about the career decision making and addresses career confusion. And then part two is returning back to work after a career break, which I think more people than ever can probably relate to being in that bucket, right? One of the things that um, I feel like, you know, there's so much in there, but one of the things I want people to hear um, in the last few minutes that we have together is you talk about, because this, this I think applies to anybody, 
you talk about the five habits of confident returnees. So can you talk about, there's five, they're great. If you can remember them, that's great. But one of them is not being afraid, being afraid to fail. And so I'd love for, I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah. You know, I think the concept of failure is something that really holds people back, right? And one of the coaches that we work with has always called it that you need to, you know, silence your inner critic because there's always something she actually gives a visual, <laughs> this crazy little visual of something like sit, literally sitting on your shoulder. And when you say, oh, I'd like to go into project management. Well, you could never do that, right? Like um, there's some little voice that always holds you back. And the idea that if you try, you need to think through what are the worst things that would happen if you did fail? If it if you do fail, it's like at our school, they say mistakes are magic, right? You learn from the failure. And so failure is something that I think it comes in different, it shows up in different forms, I guess is the best way to put it. And you probably understand this in your work too, right? It shows up in different forms for different people, but it's a fear that holds them back from going ahead and doing something that, you know, honestly, where they might be able to live their best life. Um, so my main takeaway for people who are struggling with the concept of failure, like one, one example is um, people will, will say, well, I, you know, I invested in this really big um, law degree or somebody paid for me to go to law school. My parents invested in me going to law school and now I don't want to be a lawyer. And they consider that to be a failure. And yet if you spin it and you look at it from a different side, it's actually those skills that you have trained for with all of your law skills can be utilized in so many different directions. And so it's not so much that you're a failure, it's that you're you're actually setting yourself up for success. Yeah, I really love that. And I would say, you know, the only other thing to add for whoever needs to hear this today, it's, it's not a new concept, but sometimes you just need to hear it. The most confident person you can think of right now has fears, has failed, continues to have that fear of failure. It's not the having the fear part that needs to be shifted. It's just what you do with that fear, how you manifest it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so the last question I have for you today is I love that you have this section on why mothers make the best workers. So can you share your thoughts? Why do you think mothers make the best workers? Well, they're amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, so there's, I mean, again, one of the things I just mentioned about your your brain actually growing, I think, is a great thing to sort for everybody sort of um, fall back on. But often, and we do a lot of this in our work in coaching, when women are uh, returning back to the workforce after career breaks, they are so motivated, and all mothers um, who have a great employer to work for are extremely loyal to those employers. And they have skills that employers need that they really can't train for as much as they would like to. And those can include good communication skills, empathy, like we talked about earlier, um, even project management skills, spreadsheet skills, right? We're all good at spreadsheets if you're a mom. There are a lot of transferable skills that are really 
in demand right now. And employers know that they can train you for specific skills that they need done at that particular job, but they they can't train for um, some of these more less tangible things that really present themselves with mothering. So um, those are just a few reasons that I think mothers are make incredible employees. Thank you so much. The book again is Your Turn, Careers, Kids, and Comebacks, A Working Mother's Guide. I highly, highly recommend it um, to anyone who's thinking about any sort of career, including freelancing, including part-time, um, and everything to full-time. Um, if you have enjoyed this conversation, please rate, review, and subscribe to Dr. Cheryl's Podcouch. And again, Stacey, it was so great to have you on. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And I really wish you all the best. And to you, Cheryl. Thank you again. It's nice to, to finally meet you here. <laughs> yes, I agree. You too. Take care.